Thank you. Good morning. Great to have you worshiping with us this morning. I am wearing my glasses this morning, so Jono says when I wear my glasses, I'm not Dave, I'm Dave. So get ready for Dave this morning. I want to welcome those watching on live stream. So we have brothers and sisters in the capital city of Wellington this morning. That is, the Milburns are down there. Jody and Faye are down there. Raiden and Rachel are down there. Hannah's down there. So Anne Marie is there as well. So wherever the video is, there it is right there. If you could just give a big shout, just give a quick pan around and we'll see. Yes. That's Carlos, ladies and gentlemen. He's our tripod, the human tripod this morning for the Facebook Live. So a big shout out to the Wellington crew watching on Facebook. Also, we have a couple that has recently moved here from one of our sister churches. And some of you may know Sandy, but Jack and Sandy and their son Jeremy have just moved here. So if you guys could stand up, please, and I'd like to welcome you to the fellowship. That's awesome. It's a pleasure to have you here joining us in Central Auckland Church of Christ. And also we have some brothers and sisters from the Hong Kong Church as well. If you could stand up as well, and we'd li- uh, like to introduce you as well. And the last welcome is for Tyson's sister, Kelsey, who's visiting from our sister church in Sydney. So... Glad to have you here. And also, just kind of as a public service announcement, uh, we have had quite a few people move to Auckland just this year alone. And that's awesome. That's great. And so what we're doing is to try to connect them more as we've uh, designated a couple kind of as the gateway couple. So when you come to Auckland, they'll make you feel connected. They'll get you sorted in terms of everything you need. No, not everything you need. But uh, Paul and Glenda Stoneman have taken on this task. And so could you just stand up really quick, Glenda? So... Paul's not here at the moment. But, but when you move here, they'll connect you. They're, they're very hospitable, and they'll make you feel nice and welcome. And they'll connect you to the Bible talks and help you get oriented and all that kind of stuff. And, and they'll pay your bond and that kind of stuff. And, oh, maybe not the bond part. but So if you have a Bible, if you could turn over to 2 Corinthians 6, and we're going to talk about how conduct really matters. Because the way you conduct yourself reflects Whoever is in authority over you, right? That, that's true for kids and parents. When a parent uh, trains their kid, they, they want them to conduct themselves properly. And then when they go out and go play at other houses, they want to um, make sure that they play well so that they reflect the parent, right? And so when they misbehave, you think, man, what is that parent doing? And so we, we've, when we lived in Ellerslie, we had some friends that, of our kids that would come over, and whenever they would come over, they think, oh man. Because <laughs> they would put up this kind of big tantrum when they had to leave, and it would be kind of a scene, and think, I, I don't know if I want them to come and play anymore. It's not anybody in the church, by the way, okay? Just to, just to qualify that. But, but it reflects something. And so this morning we're going to talk about how the way we conduct ourselves reflects God. And so before we do so, I'd like for us to pray about our service, but also for our sister May. She recently lost her mom, and that's heartbreaking uh, to lose a family member, especially a mom. And so we want to pray for her and their family during this time that we can be compassionate toward them and that we can really wrap our arms around them as as a church. So let's pray together for the service and, and for that family. And if there's any way there's a buzz coming through, I don't, I don't really need to hear myself. That's, I hear myself plenty. So I, we could get rid of that. 
if possible. If not, amen. But let's pray. Father, we, we are just um, coming to you this morning to really ask for uh, compassion and comfort for our sister May and, and her family. And it's so challenging to lose a family member, especially your mom, God. And I just pray that uh, you can be with May and Joe and their daughter and, and us as a church to really uh, whatever form of um, comfort we can offer, whether it's praying for them or visiting them or providing meals, whatever it is, God, help us as a church to really be a great source of comfort to her during this time. And we also pray that as we read your words this morning, God, that they really open our minds and open our hearts, not just so that we can understand what you're saying, but to practice it. To put it together so that our life and doctrine match, and so that people in this city and in this country can see the gospel lived out in a real way. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So if you have a Bible, 2 Corinthians 6, working our way through the book of 2 Corinthians. The interns did a great job last week, preaching from 2 Corinthians 5 in the teen internship and the teen-led service. That was all awesome. So we're starting in verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter and then look at a few points this morning. So in verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And at the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. That, that bit really closes out the concepts in 2 Corinthians 5. And then as it continues in verse 3, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand, and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. What a cool sentence. We have spoken to you in verse 11 freely, Corinthians. This is the only time in either letter that he addresses them as Corinthians. So there's this deep affection. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children. Remember, Paul is the one that started this church and converted them and helped them understand the gospel. So he's their father in the faith. Open wide your hearts also. In verse 14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. 
says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And so this morning we'll look at this idea because Paul is still trying to repair his relationship with the church in Corinth. He's really challenged them. They've backed away, yet he still pursues them, helps them understand the gospel, helps them understand why he's so bold. And he's really trying to persuade them so that they can all be on the same page as they try to reach a lost world together. But in our passage this morning, there's really three things about conduct that strike the church there, but also for us here today. The way we conduct ourselves in life, generally, just generally speaking, reflects what we believe about God. The way we conduct ourselves with one another in the fellowship, with each other in the fellowship, also reflects what we believe about God. And also how we conduct ourselves with the world, not inside the church, but outside the church, reveals what we believe about God. So we'll look at those three things, how we conduct ourselves in life with one another and the world. First of all, the way we conduct ourselves in life is very important because it reflects God. If you're a disciple of Jesus, the way you conduct yourself reflects God. In verse 3, Paul says to the church in Corinth, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry, not our reputation, not what people think about me or Paul or Silas, but our ministry. We conduct ourselves. We put no stumbling block. We cause no one to stumble so that the ministry of God will not be discredited. And in verse 4, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Commend ourselves sounds funny to our ears, but it literally would be we present ourselves. We exhibit ourselves. We conduct ourselves. In such a way that it gives credit to God. And then in verse 4 through 10, he kind of sketches out different ways he and his companions have endured through their ministry. And at the end of the day, he says, look, we lived like this so that nobody could say anything bad about God. This is the way, this is the reason why we conducted ourselves like this. And so we learn from this, our conduct matters. People are always looking. At you and me and our conduct through different life circumstances to see what we believe about God. Now, now look at this passage here. Look at everything he, he says him and his companions endured. In verse, in verse 4 it says, troubles, hardships, and distresses. And so those are just general stress and anguish about life, right? And Paul is going about his ministry. There's stress. There's daily stress of trying to help people grow, of travel, of just anxiety, of trying to help the congregations. And he's just overwhelmed by that. Yet he conducts himself in a godly way. Now the next one is a bit more crazy in verse 5. In beatings, imprisonments, and riots. I went through the book of Acts, I counted at least six times where Paul is being dragged out of a city, driven out of a city, or stoned, and then dragged out of the city. Now, after one time, that's enough for me. 
But at least six times it's recorded in the Bible. In beatings, imprisonments, and riots. And if he's not being dragged out, if he's not being driven out, if he's not being stoned, he's in the middle of a riot. Where they're about ready to drag him out of the city. And so through all of that, he says, we still conducted ourselves in a manner worthy of God. And then it continues. In sleepless, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. The, the reason... Paul probably didn't sleep is he's working as a tent maker during the morning hours and then when everybody's on lunch break he's going and preaching the gospel or he's renting out community halls trying to spread the gospel then when everybody goes back to work he's back at work making tents I mean this guy worked relentlessly and sometimes he didn't have enough money to pay for his food sometimes he's fasting but regardless in hard work and sleepless nights and in hunger he's still conducting himself in a proper way and he, he, he responds to all of this stuff as it continues with purity, patience, kindness. He's fueled by the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And so weapons in the right hand and weapons in the left hand. And he's always ready to conduct himself in a way that shows, I don't want to discredit God. And so as the list continues on and on, he talks more about what that looks like. In praise and dishonor. In glory and, and dishonor. All those kinds of things. Once in Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas go to Lystra. They heal somebody. And how does the crowd respond? They say, man, you guys are gods. And then a crowd comes over from Antioch, stirs up the crowd. And that same crowd that just said you're gods stones him and wants to kick him out of the town. That's kind of like, hey man, you're awesome. Bro, I can't stand you. It's like both, both sides of the spectrum. And if you're a disciple, you've experienced that at some point in your life. Bro, you're awesome. And then you challenge somebody, bro, don't ever talk to me again. But, but through both of those, all of these things, Paul says, we conducted ourselves so that we wouldn't discredit God. That's crazy. And it's convicting to think about because our conduct does matter. And the source of all that, the reason they can be even keeled through all of that is the Holy Spirit and they're fueled by God. You can't probably see all those, but in the military, at least in the United States, we have codes of conduct. And when I joined the military, they drill this into you. This code of conduct, because the way you conduct yourself reflects on the United States military. America. Right? And so we, they would drill this stuff into us relentlessly. If you're captured, you cannot give any information to any foreign nation. You can't give your social security, your name is your social security number. That's like one of the things that you're supposed to do. So when I was captured, no, just kidding. <laughs> That'd be a cool story, but it didn't really happen. But all of these, there's six, there's six of these articles and they drill this stuff into you because they say who you are outside in the public reflects the United States military. Conduct yourselves properly. If that's the standard of a military, how much more the standard of disciples who reflect a sovereign God? That's what Paul is communicating here. Our conduct matters. And the truth is, the way we experience life, because all of us go through life, Christian and non-Christian, we're all going to experience the good, bad, and the ugly. And how we respond to those actually matters. Sunday in church, everybody's well behaved. Everybody's fired up, everybody's singing. Well, mostly, you know. But every, you know, Sunday is, is the time where everybody puts on their Sunday best. But what about when the stress and anxieties of life come your way? 
How do you conduct yourselves then? Binge watch on Netflix? Binge on pornography? Stress and anxiety squeeze you and show how you really are. Do you lose your temper? Do you shut down? Do you take it out on your family? How do you conduct yourself when these stresses and anxieties on life come our way? If we're we're disciples, we need to learn to endure these things and conduct ourselves properly. What about when you get praise? How do you conduct yourselves then? Well, finally, someone has recognized how awesome I am. In fact, I would like them to praise me even more. Or do you pretend to be humble? Oh, don't, don't lift me up, bro. You know, come on now. But what'd you say again? You know, like, so do you pretend to be humble? Or, or do you start to elevate yourself and think, yeah, really? And you start to look down on other people. How are you when you get praise? We're supposed to conduct ourselves in a godly way even when you get praise. How about criticism? Because you get both. Oh, thanks for that feedback. Silently plot revenge. Right? You take it home and you stew in your mind about minor details that were irrelevant to the big picture. But how do you respond when you get criticized? Or do you think, okay, well, let me tell you something about yourself. Let me find faults in other people's. Or do you flect? Or then do you start to go and slander what that person said about you? Well, let me tell you what, brother. Like, how do you conduct yourself when you get criticized? What about when you're tired? Because Paul says, man, we were tired. We were hungry. We were working hard. When I get tired, that's when the things can can slide. It's easier to lust. Easier to let the convictions go out the door. It's uh, easier to be more angry. How do you conduct yourself? Our conduct matters. Right? Our conduct matters. And others who know what you're experiencing are watching you. How are they conducting themselves? Do they really believe in a God? Is God really giving them the power to work through this? Is God really helping them? Because, because we're, we, we have a higher authority, we, we represent that authority. And it matters to other people how we conduct ourselves. Of course, everybody's going to give their own account. And so Paul says, we put no stumbling block. You're responsible for God, but we made sure. We, we put no stumbling block so that you could not discredit our ministry. So our, our reactions can be a stumbling block or a stepping stone generally in life. Secondly, how we conduct ourselves with one another is important as well. This is where Paul says in verse 11 and 12, we've spoken freely to you. Hey, we, we, we've been open. We put our hearts out on the line. We gave to you, Corinthians. We've opened wide our hearts. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. Come on. It's like a dad pleading with his child. Like, I'm trying. Just, just give me something. It's only fair. I'm pouring myself out. That word withholding that's used both in verse 11 and verse 12, stenachareo, the Greek word there, that's when you put your finger on your glasses when you pronounce the word, stenachareo, like that, all right? And what that means, because it's not just withholding, but it's actually you're being cramped, constrained, pressed, and narrow. And so what Paul, what, what they're saying to Paul is, Paul, you, you're trying to rebuke us harmfully. You don't love us. You're like, really, you, you, your heart's really small with us. He says, no, I'm not withholding. I'm not being cramped or constrained. You're being like that with me. And he repeats the ideas in a similar way in chapter 7, verse 2. Make room for us in your hearts. Hey, look, when, when Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, he was very sharp with them. 
Your behavior doesn't match what you believe. And you need to repent and you need to change. And as a result, as it happens with us, when someone is firm, frank, and loving with us, we might be tempted to pull back. That's what happened. You guys need to change your behavior. Oh, Paul, you're too harsh. You don't love us. No, I'm still pursuing you. I'm still writing letters. I'm still praying. I'm still trying to connect with you. And they pull away more. And he says, no, you're, you're actually withholding. I'm still trying. You're isolating yourself. It's a similar pattern today, right? If you've ever been challenged by someone, you feel your heart kind of tighten up. And then you see them and you feel like, I'm not going to initiate with him. I'll let them initiate with me. Pulling away. Getting constrained. Constricted. And tighter. And that's how it works. And you know, we, 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 we see, and then we, we shrink back and we shut them out. And that's what's happening here in Corinth. There's a very famous song about a very famous literature, literary character that describes something like this. Your heart's an empty hole. You're a mean one. Mr. Grinch. And it says, here's what it says about Mr. Grinch's heart. Your heart's an empty hole. Your heart is full of unwashed socks. Your heart's a dead tomato with other abominable things in this list. But if you've watched this movie, one of the, you know, it's, it, how many of you have seen the movie, right? Okay, good. Some of you haven't, so this is going to spoil it for you. But the Grinch, he steals Christmas, and and he's isolated, and he's greedy, and he's stingy. And as a result, his heart is so tiny and small. And he thinks, the the more I take, the more I'm greedy, the more I'm isolated, I'll be happy. But what happens, his heart continues to shrink until he start, you know, he starts stealing the presents and realizes, okay, this isn't going to work. And they say, I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole, Mr. Grinch. And then what happens, though, as he starts giving the gifts back to the kids, it actually says this line in the movie. The narrator says, What happened in Whoville that day? The Grinch's small heart grew three sizes. Now, of course, that's silly and comical. But there is a truth there about the human heart. The more you isolate yourself, the more you pull back, the more your heart actually shrinks. The more you give, the more you stretch yourself to give, the more your heart actually expands. When someone challenges you and you shrink back, your heart shrinks. When someone challenges you and you continue to be affectionate with them, your heart expands in a spiritual sense. And this is very important because how we conduct ourselves with one another is very important. There's a temptation to shut one another out, a temptation to be icy, a temptation to have no room for each other in our hearts. And we might be suspicious of someone because we think they're going to tell us something that we should hear, but we don't want to hear. And so we shut them out. Instead, we need to learn to let them in and practice expanding our hearts. Or we might get hurt by them. And as a result, we shut them out. Or we just might be plain selfish and shut them out. Sadly, that type of heart will continue to shrink and shrink. And you'll be less capable of loving other people. And so you think, oh, it doesn't matter about my relationships with one another. Yes, it does. Your heart shrinks and you don't have anything to give to each other. 
And so when we train our hearts this way, it's a very dangerous slope. Because later on, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. What does that all mean? They shut Paul out. They don't want to hear Paul anymore. Some other false apostles, those are false apostles. Here they come, trickling into Corinth. They start preaching. And the Corinthians accept them and put up with them. When you shut other people out and your heart shrinks, you're opening the way for false doctrine into your life. That's a scary slope. And so Paul says, no, there is a fair exchange. Open wide our, open wide your hearts. And so in contrast, that's the negative aspect of it. But the, but the positive is, when you follow Jesus, it actually expands your heart. That's very positive. Our hearts are made wide. We can make room for all kinds of people. And plus, when we continue to do that, it increases our, our, increases our ability to love. And when this happens in fellowship, when, when you have a conflict with somebody, but you push through and your heart gets bigger, then you can actually give to lost people in the world, and they see a difference. This is the training ground where we learn to expand our hearts. This is the place where we learn to give. This is the place where we learn to make room in our hearts for all different kinds of people. And then, when we go out into a lost world, our large hearts make a big impact. Why? Because our culture's heart is shrinking. Drastically. Study after study shows that we have more options for our free time... And as a result, we decrease relationships with one another. There's so many options to do with our time, but most of us spend it isolated. Our hearts shrink. We don't have any room for one another. So when a disciple of Jesus whose whose heart is bigger contacts somebody who's in this culture, they see, whoa, man, they have room for me in my heart. There's something different. And it makes a statement. In Western culture 30 years ago, one statistic from Pew Research Center says over 40% of the people knew their neighbor's name. 30 years later, barely 20% know their flat-out next-door neighbor's name. That's crazy. And that is, but, the, but the idea is that we're, our heart, the, the world's heart is constantly shrinking. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, again, this is the training ground where our heart expands and we learn to love a lost world. It's also worthy to note in this passage that being confrontational and challenging often is an act of love. I don't think that's an idea we're often familiar with. Bro, let me challenge you firmly, frankly, out of love. Uh, you don't love me. Paul is saying, look, I, I'm trying to correct your behavior. I'm trying to correct the way you think. This is a demonstration of love. And I think that's important. He didn't abandon them. He kept, he kept his affection for them. He loved them deeply. And I think we need to learn to speak to people in love and learn to be spoken to in love. Because our relationships with one another, our conduct matters. Lastly, how we conduct ourselves with the world matters. You guys there? This is the last one here with the world. 
In verse 14, he starts this whole idea. And then he says in verse 16, What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. That's a powerful, powerful statement. In the Old Testament, it was in one, one place, one location, and you had to go there. In the New Testament, the Spirit fills all believers, and we collectively are the temple. So we're able to go out into the world, but we're called to be separate from the world because we are God's temple. And then he'll give three Old Testament references, verse 14 through 17. You'll see it starting in verse 16, rather. I will live with them and walk among them. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters. Now, this is support for his point here, but the thread is when you come out and be separate, there's a promise attached to it. Come out, be separate, and I will be with you. Touch no unclean thing, and I will walk with you. So you want God to be with you. You want the promises to be fulfilled. Be separate. Be holy. And that's what he's trying to communicate here. If the promises of God are being stifled, it's not God's fault. It's because you're not coming out, you're not being separate, and you're not being holy. This church in Corinth had issues with idolatry. They had major issues with idolatry. The city of Corinth was polluted with idolatry. And if you were in this city and you worshipped a foreign god, that god did not demand complete loyalty. You could pick between any number of gods and serve them all. And that's what they did prior to conversion. So imagine that's your background. I can pick this God, this God, this God, and a little bit of this one, like a cafeteria line, and I'll form my own religion. And then when you convert to Christianity, there's one Lord, and he demands full loyalty. So imagine when they convert to Christianity, now it's like, oh man, one Lord. It's dizzying trying to adjust to that mentality. In fact, three chapters in 1 Corinthians were devoted to idolatry. Chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. Because Paul sees, man, this city is deeply embedded in idolatrous behavior. And here again, he challenges them on and says, you guys got to come out from this kind of lifestyle. Holiness isn't a one-off thing. It's not like all of a sudden you get holy and it's all done. It's an ongoing thing. And Paul says, you got to come out. you got to be separate. It's a continual call to be different from the world. All of those passages refer to that. Leviticus chapter 26, Isaiah 52, and Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel 7, 7, 14. That's all about supporting. When you come out and you're separate, God is with you. Now, when we become disciples, we're supposed to be distinct from the world. Now, you can clearly see this guy against this backdrop. This is an artist. He's known as the Invisible Man. Some of you might know his work, but he's called Louis Bolin. And he does heaps of cool artwork all over the world. So in this, in this sense, this is what it's like initially when you become a Christian. You stand out from the backdrop of the world. You think different. You behave different. You interact with people different. And it's noticeable. Because.
because you're coming out of the world. You're still in the world, but your behavior and your life changes. Very clear distinction similar to this photo. Now, as you age as a disciple, it should become more and more holy. More and more pure. More and more distinct. However, as we know from the Bible, the temptation is to become more and more like the world. And so it goes from that to this. Now, you can barely see his head, but the rest of his body is neatly camouflaged. This is what his artwork does. He goes to these different places, and he paints himself invisible. He blends in with his surroundings. Now, but, but this, in the Christian sense, is I, I'm still just distinct enough. But the rest of me blends in completely with the values of the world. I feel just good enough because you can see my head. But that's not what it's meant to look like. You're supposed to be more and more distinct over time. And as you mature into a, a greater age as a disciple, it should be more clearly distinct, more powerfully pronounced that you are different. But we know there's a temptation to just completely blend in. This is, this is one of his better works. It might take a minute to find you. He's in the middle. I mean, you, you Google this guy, L-U-I. B-O-L-I-N. And look at his artwork. He's a master at blending in. But don't be a master at blending in as a Christian. We're called by God to be clearer and more distinct. And I'm not just talking about the way you dress. I'm talking about your value system. What you have deep convictions about should be vastly different to what the, ver- the world values and has deep convictions about this church was so idolatrous so wrapped up in it Paul says come out don't be yoked with this kind of culture it's no different now we have to be distinct we have to be different when you and I became a disciple we became a part of God's temple this church the church of God is designed to be different I'm not talking about when we come together Sunday I'm talking about when you go to your high school When you go to your job, when you go to your neighborhood, that's when the church actually happens. That's when we see if we're different or not. And yes, we have to be careful about how we engage with the world. We're not, we're not in the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We have, to be, we have to be careful. But we can't start to be too careless unless we blend in with them all over again. And that doesn't mean you separate yourself and become a monk. That's the opposite end of the extreme. That doesn't make any sense because then no one sees your life. People are meant to see your life and meant to see your difference. Now, the most clear application of this from this passage is in verse 14. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. The yoke coming from the Old Testament is there's two ideas. One is you don't mate different kinds of cattle. It's called mismating. And the other idea is you don't put a a donkey and an ox and a yoke together and plow the field. They'll be mismatched. And so that's, but it was also applicable. They said, don't marry foreign women from from other nations. Marry within Israel. The New Testament concept, do not be yoked with unbelievers. The most clear application in marriage, you are yoked. Till death do us part. And if you're yoked together with a non-believer, it's not good. Now there are exceptions to that 1 Corinthians 7 says if two people are married together, one gets converted. You have to stay in that. Alright, but if you purposely pursue marriage with a non-believer, 
You will not receive the promises of God because that's not coming out and being separate and being holy. The natural order of things suggests that if you want to get married, you have to pursue somebody and date them. Right? So that means even for single, especially this is a clear warning sign to any single brothers and sisters that you cannot flirt with men or women in the world. You will not receive God's promises if that's your pursuit. You cannot share affections with them. Be vulnerable with them. Even those who claim to be believers. If their doctrine is not right, specifically on salvation, do not yoke with them. If they don't have faith, they have not repented, and they have not been baptized, steer clear, bring them to church, but do not pursue affection with them. It's very clear. Very clear. Now, there's many other areas as well. You can yoke yourselves when business partners with people. Because try to yoke yourself with a non-believer who shares different values. And when it comes to time to turn it in numbers and tax, they'll easily say, let's, let's shade the numbers and let's do it a different way. And you say, no, we need to be righteous. They'll say, yeah, right. And then you'll be tempted, oh, maybe just once. So it has all these different applications. It also means who we give our affections to. Not just who you spend your time with, but who, who do you trust more? God's church? Or people in the world? Who are you influenced more by? The church or people in the world? Who do you let into your heart more? The world or people in the church? With the world, we have to come out and be distinct. Because when we do, that's when God walks among us. He's our father and will be his sons and daughters. Amen? As we conclude this morning, we have to understand our conduct does matter. As disciples, we're meant to model the conduct of Jesus, right? We'll become more and more like him as a person and as a church. And then eventually the lost world sees Jesus shining in this world. And since we believe our conduct should model Jesus, let us become a church who conducts themselves to be stepping stones for people, not stumbling blocks. Let's become a church whose hearts are wide open, wide open to each other in the fellowship, always stretching our hearts, always opening wide so we let other people in. And let's become and belong to a community that is distinct and different from the world so that God's promises can be fulfilled in our church. Amen. Amen.